In the tabernacle, you remember that as you walk into the, the holy place, as soon as you walk into the holy place, there are just four pieces of furniture. On the left-hand side, you're going to see the lampstand, the menorah. Right in front of you is going to be the altar of incense. And then behind that altar of incense is going to be a large veil. And then on the right side, you're going to see the table of showbread. This is where David at Nob, where he got the bread to sustain him. And then behind that veil certainly is the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat and the tables. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. When David came to the tabernacle, Ahimelech the priest gave David bread, knowing David needed food now and also for later. He used the old showbread, which had been taken from before the Lord, in order to put hot bread in its place. The tabernacle of the Lord had a table that held 12 loaves of bread, symbolizing God's continual fellowship with Israel. The bread is known as the showbread, which means bread of faces. It is bread associated with and to be eaten before the face of God. Because of Jesus, we have the opportunity to meet with the Lord and have new and fresh fellowship every day, forever. Now here's Pastor Rob. This very day, you've really blown it. You've really made a huge mistake. You've done something. Do you think God is just going to cast you away? Do you think he was going to do that to David after his mistakes? I mean, think of this. I mean, he's lapsing in faith big time as we read this chapter. And then to know that after he becomes king, the sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah, and can I tell you with all confidence and heaven on my side, David is in glory. He's in heaven. He broke. He asked God to forgive him, and he never went back. That's the difference. That's the difference, folks. If you sin, you confess it, and if you sin again, you confess it, and pretty soon you're going to hate it. Like God hates it. You keep confessing. You keep confessing. Ask God to forgive you, and he will forgive you. But David, when he did these things, he said, I'm done. I am done. And he was a broken man. And he wrote some of the most beautiful psalms that have ever been written for us to benefit from. But he loves. God loves. He's not angry with us. He took out the punishment for your sin and my sin on Jesus The innocent paid the price for the guilty. (laughs) He was the only innocent one in the world. He's God Almighty, perfect and holy in every way. And I deserve that judgment. He took it for me and you. And I love them for it. We love him because he first loved us. While we were yet sinners, what did he do? Christ died for us. Is there anybody on the planet that will do that? Will your best friend die for you? when you've done something wrong and take the punishment? Eternal punishment. (laughs) Jesus took that. 
It's evident also that his faith in God's ability to sustain him was shaken as well. It wasn't just the fear, it was a, a lapse in faith. Aren't you glad that God is so gracious and he doesn't throw us away like, like some kind of used napkin? People will do that to you. The world will do that to you. When you upset somebody in a Fortune 500 company and you do it bad enough, they'll just throw you out. They'll take your, your key card from you and you won't even be able to go back to your desk. You'll have a couple guys with suits, you know, marching you out one on each arm. Does God treat you like that? No, he does not. He didn't do it to David. God didn't give up on David because of these weaknesses, and he won't give up on you either. It's been said that it took one day for God to get the children of Israel out of Egypt, but it took another 40 years in the desert to get Egypt out of them. God is very patient with us. He's been, and as we will see, he's very patient with David. Never forget that. And it's easy for us to look at this event and be critical to be armchair quarterbacks. You know what that is. That's somebody who sits you know, on the sidelines and, and says, well, I, he should have done this, he should have done that, I would have done this, or I would have done that. And the truth of the matter is, none of us know how we would respond in the same situation that David was in. We can talk a big game, but until you are in the game, until you are faced with exactly what David was faced, faced with, I wonder how many, including myself, if I wouldn't have done the same thing. I would have had a lot of fun at Achish's place. Because I'd be really silly. I probably would have, who knows what I would have done. I wonder how the Lord might have secured David and protected him if he had never spoken, or if he had spoken the truth from the very beginning. I wonder how things might have been different. It wouldn't have been as comfortable. But you know, honoring God is always the best thing. Honor him, trust him. What is your price for rebellion against God? How much pressure is necessary before you finally cave in? For some, it's not much. I pray that God would give us all a bulletproof threshold, that we'd have a bulletproof will, that we'd say, Lord, I will not. And you know, there are people in history who have gone to the stake and they've, lit, they've had the, the torches right below the, the, the beam they were tied to and all the fire, all the, the soaked oil all around with all the wood. Polycarp was one of them. Denounce Christ. I will not denounce the one who saved my soul. They would take the, fl- the torches and... He'd be a human candle. He did not denounce his Lord. I love that. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus said this. He said, For what will, pro- what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will he, a man give in exchange for his soul? What is your price? What is your price? In verse 3, he says, Now therefore, what have you have on hand? David, standing before Ahimelech there in the tabernacle in Nob, do you have anything to eat? Five loaves, do you have anything? What can be found? In the tabernacle, you remember that as you walk into the, the holy place, as soon as you walk into the holy place, there are just four pieces of furniture. On the left-hand side, you're going to see the lampstand, the menorah. Right in front of you is going to be the altar of incense. And then behind that altar of incense is going to be a large veil. 
And then on the right side, you're going to see the table of showbread. This is where David at Nob, where he got the bread to sustain him. And then behind that veil certainly is the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat and the tables. And the priest answered, David said, There is no common bread on hand, but there is only holy bread. They call it showbread. It's bread that they would put on, the, on, the, on this table on the right-hand side as you would walk in. They would put 12 of them, two rows of six, to represent certainly the 12 tribes of Israel. They'd be sprinkled with frankincense. In Leviticus chapter 24, verses 5 through 9, it tells us the, the ingredients of these things. But this is the bread that David ate. This was holy bread. Ahimelech allowed him to eat the bread because they were in a strait, or David was in a strait. But it was supposed to only be eaten by who? The priests, right? Jesus also made provision. And I love this, this illustration here because normally people would think that God is this stringent, sort of follow the book by the law and there's just rigid and just nasty and cold and indifferent and just angry. People have this understanding of who God is, and it's totally wrong. And this is proof of it right here. In fact, when Jesus ministered, it says that it happened. This is uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 23. Now it happened that he went through, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, on the Sabbath, (laughs) And as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do you do that which is unlawful on the Sabbath? You weren't supposed to do any work at all, no working, even though there was provision in the law for gleaning. You know what gleaning is? That's going into a field after the, after the farmer has already gone through and gotten the harvest. They would leave a couple rows around the perimeter of the field so that poor people or people passing through could just reach up and grab you know, a, a piece of weed or or fruit of some kind. And that's what they were doing. And the Pharisees, the legalists, the ones that had starch collars, the ones who had the lemons that they were sucking on that looked like this. Everything by the letter, man. Everything by the letter. Oh, don't you cross that line. Oh, God's going to strike you dead. Don't you even think about it. Walk a straight line. Suck in that gut. Get a haircut. Clean the brass on that buckle. What's the matter with you? Get that smile off your face. Have you met people like that? Legalists. So the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do you do that which is not lawful on the Sabbath? But he said to them, Have you not read what David did? And he's referring to this very moment in this chapter in Samuel 21. Jesus says, Have you not read... What David did when he was in need and hungry, he and those with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests, and he also gave some of those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. You see how God is? He knows what's best for man. He knows that they need a rest. It wasn't some kind of, you know, if you don't do this, boy, you're in real deep trouble. Yeah, they were serious about it. But Jesus is modifying it here and saying, you know what? If you knew the heart of God, you wouldn't have such a problem with this, guys. 
Isn't it better on the Sabbath if your donkey falls into a ditch? How many men are going to get down and help you get that donkey or that, that cattle out of a ditch on the Sabbath? Wouldn't you do it? If your daughter falls into a well, are you just going to leave her there for the next day? I'll see you after Sabbath, honey. No, you're going to work like you've never worked to get her out of the pit. Life. God values life more than these little things. You know, it's like, you know, for any man in leadership, it would be a really bad idea to be driving in a car with another woman, especially if you're a married man, and there's a woman driving with you that's either single or married herself. Not a good thing, because people look, and it creates the illusion of something evil, doesn't it? And that's fine and well. But what would happen if you're driving in a car, guys? You're in the middle of Colorado. You're 30 miles away from any town. It's the middle of winter. There's a blizzard. It's zero degrees outside. And you see one car on the road ahead of you. And for some reason, you see the lights go off and the, and the person goes down into the embankment and hits a tree. They climb out of the car and you find out that it's a woman and you're a pastor of a church or you're a man in ministry. And you see the poor woman, you know, 30 miles away in zero-degree temperatures. The snow is still falling. What are you going to (laughs) do? Flee the appearance of evil and let her freeze to death? I think you'd pick her up. Put her in the car. Take her to the nearest town. Right? There's some things that are really important. But grace and mercy, the grace and mercy of God will and always has frustrated those stuck in legalism. Legalism. The scribes and the Pharisees, they knew the Old Testament scriptures, but they didn't know the heart of God. There's a difference, you know. You can know everything, but you cannot. You can miss the heart of God by knowing everything to the letter and totally missing everything else. So important to know the heart of God in addition to the word of God. They were more interested in the outward appearances rather than the inward Jesus even said to them, he says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory for men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But, but a person who's legalistic wants to make sure that everybody sees their good deed that they're doing. And Jesus says they've received their reward. They're not going to get it from me. I would encourage you to read Matthew 23, and I'm just going to read two, two or three verses. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. These guys were the legalists. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean, cleanse the inside of the cup and the dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, For you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus was never easy on the religious leaders. They were the ones that were supposed to lead and to lead people into righteousness. And instead, they... We're making money off people and not doing the things that they ought to have done. Let us remember grace and mercy. And I think of Ahimelech 
You know, he's looking at that bread and he's thinking to himself, you know what? There's a genuine need here. And we just replaced the, the show bread with new stuff and we got the old stuff here. David, you take it. David, you take it. And the Lord commended that action. In Luke chapter 2, we just read it. So back in verse 5, it says, Then David answered the priest and said to him, Truly women have been kept from us about three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young man are holy, and the bread is in effect common, even though it was consecrated in the vessel this day. So the priest gave him holy bread, for there was no bread there but the show bread, which had been taken from before the Lord, in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there, and this is where the key turns to minor. Everything was bright and cheerful, the sun was out, and now all of a sudden there's clouds over the sun. <laughs> the, the sound turns to a minor key, and you can hear that dum, dum, da, dum, 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 dum. You can hear the Star Wars you know, theme going, doeg. And he's probably got a patch on his eye, probably a peg leg. You know, he's walking around like a pirate. This guy is there, and notice it says detained before the Lord. And his name actually means anxious or fearing. Can you imagine being a, 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 a mother? What are you going to name your newborn son? Fear. Fear and anxiousness. Doeg. I love it. Doeg was an Edomite. He was from the line of Esau. Remember, the line of Esau and the line of Jacob never really were simpatico. And in fact, in chapter 14 of this very book, Saul had slaughtered the Edomites. And this gentleman was more than likely a prisoner or maybe even a traitor, but Saul got a hold of him and made him one of his chief herdsmen. So there was this intense animosity between him and the descendants of Jacob and he certainly didn't like the priest from you know, the tribe of Levi. He hated them. We don't know exactly why he was detained. It could have been because he was unclean or maybe he made a vow and he had to be there for a certain amount of time. But either way, he was there. We don't know. And the devil seems to always have his man in place when God is about to do something. The devil loves to have someone in place when the child of God is struggling he always seems to have his man in place. Did you see what he did? The accuser of the brethren. Isn't that what Satan accused Job? Have you seen this man? The Lord goes, yeah. He's a righteous man. And he goes, let me at him and he'll curse you to your face. Oh, really? So you know Job better than I do. I'll make you a deal. You go ahead and you touch whatever you want. You just can't take his life. And the devil says, great. Because he doesn't care. He just wants to destroy. Even though he can't kill him, he's glad to take away anything. But see, the devil always has his man in place to accuse the righteous. Have you been accused by someone when you're trying to do the right thing? Or maybe you've done a good deed. Maybe you're doing a good thing. And maybe you slipped up. Maybe you didn't follow the rules. Maybe you did one little mistake that nobody really cares about, but, oh, there's one person in the room was like, mm, can't have that. So then you got the religious people, the legalists, against you, and then you got the people looking at you who aren't even a, a child of God. Oh, you messed up. <laughs> you know, we're, we're kind of like, as, as a group, the church, we are like the little minnows streaming up, swimming upstream, 
and we're fighting the current. We're just making every fin push a little, you know, and we're just we're cruising up, trying just to get a headway. And be and coming at us are, is a school of eighteen foot great white sharks that are just hungry. Female great white sharks, bereaved of their children, coming at you. Not a good scene. That's what we are. But God. But God. So David said to Ahimelech, Is there uh, not here a hand on hand a spear or a sword? For I have not brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And again, this ought to have seemed strange to Ahimelech. So the priest said to him, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take it, take it, for there is no other except that one. And David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. And so David, no doubt, gave it to them to put behind as, as a memorial to God's faithfulness. At some point, he gave the sword, and now he's coming back on the run, realizing he's got nothing. And I wonder if there was something of the Lord in this, too. I mean, think about it. He's at his low point, his, the low ebbing of his faith, and then he sees that sword. And Ahimelech brings it out, and you can imagine, he brings it out to David, and David's looking at it. And I wonder what was going through David's mind. Was he thinking to himself, man, that was the day. Lord, that was the time in my life when I was just soaring like an eagle with you, and now look at me. I wonder if that wasn't just like a little... The Lord just saying, David, remember, I was with you then. I can be with you now. Why are you running? Why are you fearful? You can trust me, David. As I was with you in that valley with Goliath, I'm with you in your valley right now. David, why are you lying? Why are you doing all these things? Just come to me, David. Can you imagine the sword just brings back this flood of memories of his faith? I wonder... It may have been a stimulus to David's faith, perhaps. So verse 10, it says, Then David arose, and he fled that day from before Saul, and he went to Achish, the king of Gath. Now Gath is roughly 25 miles southwest of Nob. What a great name. I wonder what they do in Nob. We make doorknobs. Where do you live? Nob. Well, you got a funny nose. It looks like a knob. You know? But here he is. He flees from Nob. He goes uh, 25 miles southwest to this, the city of Gath. Now, what do you think about that? Where did Goliath come from? What was, where was Goliath's hometown? Was it not Gath? And now he's got Goliath's sword, the champion of the Philistines. He's got his sword. He's marching into town. Can you see that? You know, they, they got the gate open, and here you see this, this handsome stranger coming down. And, He's coming in with his sword. And you can imagine, I wonder if David thought to them, I bet, they, I bet maybe they'll fear me. Maybe they'll still fear me. Hmm. But Gath was the birthplace of Goliath. It was also one of the five major cities of the Philistines. The other four were Gaza, Ashkelon, Ekron, and Ashdod. But does it make sense that he would go into this place of the enemy? You know what that's like? That's like an antelope going into a den of lions. It doesn't make sense. But, you know, for some reason, David's thinking to himself, Saul's got control of the whole army. Even though they love me, they, they, who knows what they think about me now? He has control over them. So I guess my only option is to flee to the enemy. Maybe they'll be more merciful.
I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.